0: This is episode number 252, Wisdom from No Meat Athletes, Matt Frazier. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better
1: every day. I didn't really set out with no meat athlete or this plant-based athlete book to convince anyone that a plant-based diet is should be the diet of choice for sports, as far as sports performance goes. I hope that's the case, and and it appears to me, based on all the athletes that we talk about, that at the very least, plant-based diet is a viable alternative to any other diet, even for elite performance in in sports. There are a lot of athletes, yourself included, who are showing that you. Can be the best in the world with this type of diet at what you do and that to me at least means it's worthy of consideration as perhaps this diet is not just as good as the others perhaps it's actually better
0: yes i said be better every day not be perfect every day and that is just a little slice of something to think about because a lot of times we do strive for perfection and while there is absolutely nothing wrong with wanting everything to be a best case scenario Sometimes perfectionism can stop you from getting started, or it could even make you feel less satisfied with the work that you're doing because you're always comparing yourself to some impossible standard. So instead of striving for perfect, strive for the pursuit of better. If you like little tidbits of information or thoughts like that, you might like my weekly newsletter that comes out every single Monday. You can sign up for that at com slash newsletter, where I send out the podcast episode of the week a research thought of the week in the realm of mindset and motivation, and a question for you to ponder. You can sign up for that at sanyaluni.com newsletter. Can't wait to see you over there and chat with you every Monday via email. I'm pretty excited about this week's podcast guest, Matt Frazier. He is somebody who I've been following for a very long time, dating way back to when I started changing my diet in 2012, 2013 realm. Matt started dabbling in vegetarianism in 2009 and went on to become a vegan ultramarathoner. He's ran 100-mile running races. He's an author, he's an entrepreneur, and a plant-based diet advocate. You may have heard of No Meat Athlete, and he is the founder of No Meat Athlete, which is a community online that provides the tools for thriving on a plant-based diet and how athletes can be at their very best with this type of nutrition they also have in-person communities spread out around the world. And nomine Athlete was a resource that I used whenever I was changing my diet, and I still refer to it now. There's a lot of free resources on there, very in-depth tools. So whenever people ask me, how do I change my diet? That is one of the first places I send them. And he's gone on to found and co-found multiple companies, including 8020 Plants, which is like having a plant-based dietitian in your pocket that coaches people one-on-one to change their diets. And he also has found his supplement company, Compliment, And those two companies and the No Meat Athlete empire will be talked about at a later episode with the CEO of No Meat Athlete, Matt Tolman, not to be confused with Matt Frazier. Matt is known for his No Meat Athlete radio podcast, which you should definitely check out, and his books, which have sold over 125,000 copies in five languages. His work has also been featured in books like Ritual's Finding Ultra, Brendan Brazier's Thrive, and Seth Godin's What to Do When It's Your Turn. In addition, Sports Illustrated called the No Meat Athlete Cookbook one of the best health and wellness books. Those are a lot of impressive accolades, and they are well-earned, as I have actually read all of those books and seen his work throughout. And now he's back with a new book, The Plant-Based Athlete, written in collaboration with Robert Cheek. You might have heard Robert on the podcast last month where I invited him to talk about co-writing this book with Matt and his journey with this book. He is a vegan bodybuilder, but this book guides those interested in making the important shift to a plant-based diet and how to do so with the best, most transformative results, and a lot of research and information backed by experts in the field. The book also goes into a day in the life of many different types of world-class athletes, including how they made these changes, what these changes are doing in their lives, what a food plan would look like for the day, and also recipes. I'm hugely honored to be featured in this book alongside some of these other athletes. It still doesn't even feel real that they would include me in this book, and I'm so honored and humbled for the opportunity. So make sure you check out the book, The Plant-Based Athlete, if you are interested in adding in maybe a few plant-based meals or just adding in some plant-based nutrition, and also if you're just curious about how other people are doing it. In this week's episode, I catch up with Matt on the creation of No Meat Athlete, a deep dive into what you need to know about protein, carbs, macros, and how not to worry so much about what people think. This podcast episode is not just about plant-based nutrition because we've done that many, many times over on the podcast. I really wanted to get into who is behind No Meat Athlete, What makes Matt tick? What challenges he's faced along the way with success and metrics and just about what other people think as a public figure? So I think you'll get a lot out of this episode, and you might just want to try a plant-based diet for a day or a meal. And if you want to join my community, hop on over to Plant Powered Academy on Facebook to join our group. We have over 2,000 members, and it's just a community of collaboration where people can help each other out Trading information, asking questions. And people have even asked questions like, how do I plan for a bike packing trip and eat plant-based? Or how do I feed plant-based to my kids? So there's a variety of information over there. And if you're looking for a super easy, simple cookbook, I have my own digital cookbook called the Plant Powered Academy that you can get at moxieandgrit.com. The recipes are designed for athletes and the recipes are also designed to Take very little time cooking. And I don't know about you, but I have a one-year-old. And even before that, I didn't even have much time to cook. So I tried to make things as simple and easy and delicious as possible. And people love most of the recipes in that book. So go to moxieandgrit.com and check out the Plant-Powered Academy digital cookbook. Key takeaways you're going to get from today are how Matt created No Meat Athlete and the importance of trying things, of checking out opportunities, of lifting up rocks and seeing what's there. Key takeaways you're going to get today there are things like how Matt created No Meat Athlete and how important it is to explore your curiosity, how to get contemplation into motion, because many of us have ideas in our heads, but we never actually act on them, how to not worry so much about what other people think, which is really challenging, the differences in nutritional needs between a sedentary person versus an athlete on a plant-based diet, We talked about carbs and weight loss and why plant-based diets are good for performance. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And before we get into it, I just want to say thank you to our podcast sponsor, Groovy. Groovy is a non-alcoholic beverage company, and they make some really incredible choices. So whether you are looking to quit drinking completely or just reduce the amount of alcohol and still have something special to grab whenever you want to celebrate or just unwind, check out Groovy. I really like their no seco, their Pale Ale, and their Stout. Those are my favorites. Those are things that I reach for almost on a daily basis. And I have to say that having good non-alcoholic options has significantly reduced the amount of alcohol I drink. I barely drink alcohol anymore because I can scratch the itch of wanting something tasty, and that is a earthy treat. And I love that I can wake up in the morning and not take away from my health, not take away from my training and just feel good. So check out Groovy. Go to GetGroovy. That's G-E-T-G-R-U-V-I.com and use the code SONYA10 to get 10% off. And I know a lot of my Colorado pals are listening. They have a pop-up store in Denver right now. So make sure that you check that out. That way you can taste some of these delicious options. All right. So let's get into today's episode with Matt Frazier. Hey, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sonia. This is really
1: exciting. I'm glad to be here.
0: You've gotten to talk to so many different podcast hosts over the last couple of weeks. What's been the most interesting question someone's
1: asked you? Oh, that's a good one. Oh, you kind of stumped me. Let's see. I, th- I guess <laughs> I'm actually drawing a blank. It's been so much uh, not to not to <laughs> put down the the podcast. It's been very standard book-related questions. I'd say the most interesting one isn't anything wacky or anything like that, but it, the one that is is the most, I think, just kind of is a cool question and answer is is what was the most surprising thing to come out of all the research we did with the book and the athletes that we interviewed, including yourself, which we're extremely grateful for. And I only like that question because the answer to me is interesting. And it's that what I learned from this was that there are so many different ways to make a plant-based diet work, even for athletes at the very highest levels. I think we all kind of, at least I certainly did, I think most of us grew up with the sense that if you were going to go out on a limb and eat a vegetarian or vegan diet, then you had to be extremely careful. You had to do a, a well-planned plant-based diet, which you know some, some nutrition institutions will, will now like acknowledge. A well-planned plant-based diet can meet all your needs. What this taught me that all these athletes, you know, there are some common themes for sure, like eating plant-based and whole foods for the most part. But people do it entirely different. Some just eat based on hunger. Some have really meticulous regimens and try to hit exact macro numbers. Some eat only completely whole food, no oil, no sugar, no anything. Others, you know, eat plenty of beyond meat and, and sport sugar supplements and things like that. So I think it was interesting for me because it was, it really just like, I didn't expect myself to gain any more confidence in the plant-based diet. I was pretty happy with, you know, my Mm -hmm. results and, and had become convinced that this works, but somehow just seeing this, it took, it made me realize like, you don't have, you don't have to be careful. Like if you eat whole plant foods and you eat a decent variety of them, every single thing you're putting in your body every ingredient going into the machine is great and and complete on its own i mean obviously variety is important but like there's just so much there in all of these foods that there are lots and lots of ways to make it work i think i think what you need to be careful is if you're not eating a plant-based diet and you're eating a whole bunch of standard american junk foods that's when you need to like well plan make sure that you're getting all the stuff you need
0: yeah and i think a lot of times people strive for perfection especially when they change their diet or they're going against the grain because everybody else is staring at you saying well, you look like you might not have gotten enough protein or maybe you're deficient in (laughs) omega-3s or whatever. So everybody's like waiting for you to make a mistake or waiting for you to not be perfect. So I love that you said that there is no wrong way. You just do it. And there's been tons of other athletes who have done so many different approaches. So you have to find what works for you.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I guess I should qualify. You mentioned omega-3s and made me think, you know, like I'm not trying to say that you don't need to supplement. like, like, And I think that's part of the reason why people think it has to be well planned like there mm-hmm. is a need for certain nutrients especially b12 and and mm-hmm. d and the omega 3s are are you know definitely worthy of consideration and there are even some minerals that are like worth thinking about but you can get that like we my company makes a supplement that just kind of provides those it's not a big challenge that would prevent anyone from going plant based so i guess i will qualify it with that but uh but yeah it's it's so much worse work for you and people at the top of sports like it's clear that there's a lot of you know very personal and and Idiosyncratic and things that people like that just they have found works for them for performance, whether mental or physical. So yeah, lots and lots of ways to work, and you got to find find the one that works for you. So what's
0: working for you right now?
1: That's a good question. So I'm I'm kind of in the middle of a fitness comeback, I guess you would call it. I ran a bunch of fifty mile and a hundred mile race or a one hundred mile race after several fifties back in 2013, and then after that, I kind of like lost a whole lot of my motivation for running. I had qualified for Boston, which was like a big goal of mine. And then I had gotten to the ultras and did a hundred, which was my other big, like impossible goal for me, I thought. And after that, I was not expecting to like completely just lose motivation for running. I just had no, no more goal that I wanted to do. So I went a few years where I was just like, you know, doing different things, playing soccer, doing martial arts, trying different things, but never really found something that felt like this is really sticking. So then when COVID and the quarantine, I was really out of shape up until like December when I got into kettlebell training. And, uh, I've just loved it since then. It's been awesome and, you know, really different to kind of be like a strength athlete. I don't know if you'd call it an athlete, but I guess I wouldn't in, in the broad definition that I tend to use athlete. Cause everyone comes to me and is like, well, I'm not an athlete, but <laughs> you are. I mean, if, you, if you're working out a couple of times a week to me, that's, that's way more athletic than a whole lot of people. So, so I've been doing that and I was, I had put on some body fat during that time when I was just not doing that much, except for making fresh pasta and all that kind of stuff like, like a lot of us did during that period. And so I've been trying to lose fat since then, which is weird for me because I was always someone who who had trouble keeping weight on and I would be always trying to get more and more calories. But recently I've been thinking like, let's lose some fat, gain some muscle, look a little better, all that. So I've been doing this thing called the warrior diet or at least a plant-based adaptation of it. It sounds from the name like it would be like some paleo meat heavy thing, but it's really not that at all. It's just based on the idea. And it's really just a theory. It's not, it's not a big like empirically studied diet. It's just someone's theory that like, a way that a lot of like warriors in the past would eat would be very small, kind of like eat the gathered foods during the day, the fruits, the vegetables, little things, and then have the kind of feast thing, one big meal at the end of the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So I've been drinking like vegetable juice or a lot of intermittent fasting and not really eating till noon each day usually. And then it starts with vegetable juice, then some fruits, maybe by afternoon, some, some nuts or something like that, but very, very low calories in the day compared to what I used to eat. And then in the evening, one big meal and sometimes two big meals because with plant-based, it's just hard to get a really huge meal because plant-based foods are so calorically not dense. It's hard to take in a whole lot of calories before you fill up, which is cool in many ways—a good thing for if you're trying to lose weight. But I'm finding like I, I usually need to get a little bit more calories than I can get in one plant-based meal, so I end up eating two kind of around late late lunch, early dinner time. And you know, it's it's working for me because it's new and exciting and it's fun and I it's just it's like I said, it's kind of a story, but like it's fun to buy into this warrior warrior idea. Feel like I'm you know, eating, eating in a way that's really burning and it is burning fat really fast. So, you know, I I don't want to say it's working. It's my long-term diet, but but right now it's exactly what I need. I'm I'm loving it and it's fun and my energy is great and uh, I can see the results.
0: Yeah. It sounds like curiosity is something that's really important to you because maybe you lost your curiosity once you were able to go after and run that big hundred mile race, you, d- you did it. And then you're like, Oh, I, I know I can do it now. And then same with, you know, trying kettlebells and trying out the, your warrior diet, which people should definitely sign up for your email newsletter and your podcast. That's why I asked this question. Cause I, I follow all those things closely and I think oh, it's really okay. interesting. Cool.
1: Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right about that. The curiosity. And I've only recently kind of realized this as I've gotten, I don't know, maybe five years ago, once I got to about 35 years old, I started to realize that like, I'm just a huge variety seeker. I I just like need to change things up, which is in some ways is a neat thing. I get involved in a lot of things. I learn about a lot of things. It's also a hindrance in that I have so much trouble like staying with one thing for any very long period of time, enough to like, you know, achieve any sort of mastery in it, running kind of an exception. But you know, now now I saw what the result was like I I burned out for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I really have this need to keep things fresh. I like traveling, I like moving, which is <laughs> endlessly frustrating. I think to my wife that I constantly want to like mm-hmm. move to a new place, and as soon as we get comfortable somewhere. But yeah, totally. And I think that's you know that's that's what it takes for me. Uh, and as I said, I've learned that as I've gotten older. But I think it's just really key for anyone listening. That, like th- you just kind of have to find the, the stuff that works for you. Like you said with diet, like it's the same with fitness and motivation. There's no everybody wants to know how do you stay motivated. And like, there's really no way to stay motivated. It's, it's trying a hundred different things until you find something that you, you start to dial it in and say, wow, like this exact combination of elements gets me really fired up. And I think you have to learn that about yourself by just being mindful, paying attention and, and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, mindful of paying attention and being introspective. But That's I wanna it. take it back to the beginning because some people might just be coming across no meat athlete for the first time and it's evolved and changed so much over the years. But like, how did it get started? How did you start it?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. It has evolved a whole lot. It was 2009. And when I was, as I mentioned, I was trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon. I had gotten into fitness like six years earlier than that and then run a marathon almost right away with some friends of mine in college. We just crazily said, well, let's go run a marathon now that we're like lifting weights and we're strong. Like let's lose some fat and we'll do this. And we we did it. Oh, and even more stupidly, we wrote down on our entry form that like our projected finish time was the Boston marathon qualifying time, three, three hours and 10 minutes, which like, all right, well we we can keep that mile pace right now for one mile. So why surely after half a year of training, we'll be able to do it for the whole marathon. So we missed that goal by a hundred minutes and I didn't really expect it to happen, but I, that lit a fire in me that said like, wow, like if I could actually do that, like what would that actually take to achieve that goal? How, what kind of shape would I have to be in and mentally and physically? Like what, what just, what kind of person would I have to be to do that? And I got so inspired by that idea and I, it became this thing that seemed impossible to me. It was like, that's a whole different level of fitness, just different level of a person. And, you know, like I said, like that, that impossibility, that curiosity got, got me really excited. So I, I went like five years improving, got better and better. And then I got within 10 minutes of that time and sort of started to plateau. And that's when I just got this ethical urge just due to do some like books and things I was reading to become vegetarian, not yeah, vegan, didn't, didn't really know what that was but I wanted to be vegetarian. And so I started looking around for information on the internet. This was 2009. And I just couldn't really find very much that was at all useful to me as far as like giving me reassurance that I could make this work or, or tips for how to do it. Anything that I could find was was very like kind of pushy and preachy or or not very scientific at all. And so I said, well, this will be a cool experiment. I'm just going to do it and I'm going to start writing about it. And I thought of this name, Nomi Daffet, and I started literally just like training journal, nutrition journal kind of stuff on there putting recipes up. And then the great thing happened is, is that it worked. It worked really well for sports, which I was not expecting at all. That was not the reason I did it. Uh, and I ended up taking the final 10 minutes off my marathon time just like six months after that. So now a lot of people were kind of following my story and all that, and that that obviously kind of gave it to, the boost it needed to take off. So yeah, like and then really only like a year after that, it became my full-time job. I quit grad school just to do No Athlete full-time and uh, got some book deals, got a lot of speaking engagements started a supplement company, as I said. I don't, it's just crazy. i In mean, 12 years, I've just blown by doing this. But I think we have something like 1,000 articles now, 365 podcast episodes, a bunch of nomad athlete groups around the country and actually around the world that meet up and go for runs and then go eat plant-based food somewhere. So it's really just... It's kind of grown into this community movement, whatever you want to call it, that uh, was totally unexpected. But I'm very grateful that it, that it has all worked out like that.
0: Yeah. It's really inspiring to hear how that's grown over time. And also just the sense of like agency that you have and that sense of courage of, well, I'm, you know, I'm curious, I'm going to do this, but I'm actually going to do it. I'm not just going to wonder about it. And I think for a lot of people, they think things like, well, I'd love to run a marathon or I'd love to ride my bike a hundred miles, or I'd love to try a plant-based diet, but they don't feel comfortable actually, you know, turning their thought into an action and moving down the path. So you've done this many times. Like what advice do you have for people who want to make changes, but can't get their, you know, their contemplation into motion?
1: Yeah. So that's a really great question. And I, I love that you are so into this stuff. I remember in your story in the, in our books, Penn Athlete, just how much of, of what you do is really about mental toughness and, and just kind of having the right beliefs in your head instead of the wrong kind of talk. And I think that's what this really comes down to. I get a lot of people who like reach out on twitter or facebook or whatever and say like hey i'm really interested in this plant-based diet but i'm just kind of worried about losing weight or like i'm worried about this or this other thing and none of these are like fatal things but i think people are really concerned about that if they were to try this and it wouldn't work like i guess for me if that happens it's like okay well then it didn't work and then i'll just adjust it or i'll go on, do the opposite thing and and see if that one works. But I think people don't want to do that. I think there's a lot. Maybe it has to do with the social media world that I'm not that much a part of anymore. I mean, no meat athlete is on there, and I'm on there a little bit nowadays. But just I don't really get involved in it the way a lot of people do. I think there's this big thing about looking good and saving face and not failing. So I, as corny as it sounds, I think it comes down to like redefining failure. What what you know what what means failure to you? trying a bunch of stuff and having one out of a hundred things work really well and stick and become like your one of your big life's purpose things that you do those 99 times, I guess they didn't, they didn't work, but that doesn't mean that the whole process was a failure. That's, that's what it takes to make it successful. So I think self experimentation, experimenting in general, exploring things in general, I just think that's such a great way to live and, and just a really great mindset. You're not too attached to any one thing, unless, of course, it's a really strong belief of yours, and then then you should be attached to it. But yeah, I don't know. I think it just comes down to like not worrying what people think about stuff so much, and partly maybe that that means like doing a little bit less social media, perhaps, or like you don't have to go announce every new thing that you're doing to everybody. I know people are all into like these public commitments and stuff, and I get that there's some some power behind that, but there's also potentially a downside to that. I saw a study a long time from a long time ago. About when people make these big public commitments on social media, or actually back then it was just public commitments, they actually, it doesn't always work because people get some sense of satisfaction from that. Like when everybody starts congratulating you about this weight loss you're going to do, and now you've committed, that in some way fulfills or eliminates some of the frustration that got you to the point of like saying, I need to make a change because suddenly you're feeling all this reward and love and all this stuff. And, you know, so I mean, cer- certainly there are some ways to do it, some ways to, create accountability, have a single person who's keeping you accountable, you know, very like systematic ways to do it. But I think the big like, I'm gonna make a big public show of this every single new change I do, I don't think that's really the, the healthiest way to, to go about making changes. I think it just it just breeds too much kind of like, well what will what will the crowd think? Similarly, I don't I really try hard not to like read other criticisms to people. I used to, and I think a lot of people do this, I used to like read one-star reviews on Amazon if I was bored at work. I'd like, go on like look at a book, and then I'd like take joy in watching people like tear apart a book or an author or whatever just because it was entertaining. And this, like, I've I read, this is getting off topic, but I, I read uh, this guy Seneca, an old stoic thinker, mm-hmm. and he would, he wrote, he, he, very ahead of his time in the way he thought, but he talked about how the, when people would go watch, like, I don't know if it was the gladiators or just watch when when the prisoners were, like, would fight to the death for entertainment. And he saw this as a very wrong thing to like take, you know, see entertainment in that. So, like, this modern social media stuff, when we watch people bashing each other and fighting, that's obviously not the same. But I think the more you sort of like become conscious of this and, and maybe even delight in seeing people, you know, get cut down to size or whatever, I think that sort of starts to build up that fear in you, even if you don't realize it that's like, well, what are they going to say to me then if I fail? So I just think kind of staying away from that stuff, being really careful with the stuff that you let enter your brain, stand guard at the door of your mind, they say, I think that's really important. And, and it's going to take a while for that sort of thing to have an impact. But I think if you spent a month or a year kind of with that as top of mind, I think it would change the way you are willing to take actions after that.
0: Yeah. Like paying attention to, you You talked about mindfulness and paying attention a little while ago and paying attention to your relationship with how you judge others. What, if you're taking pleasure in the pain of others, that could create barriers for you so that you can never fully express your curiosities and that paralyzing fear of failure will stop you from even trying. And you said that you have to do these things for the right reasons. Like if you're doing something, a change of some kind, because you want other people to pat you on the back or because you know, you're just trying to get attention. Like that could be a bad, a bad relationship, but it can be motivating. Like you said, as well to put stuff out online because that breeds accountability. But yeah, like when I changed my diet, actually, I didn't tell anybody for like four years that I was eating plant-based <laughs> because I wanted to do it for me. And there's uh-huh. nothing. And again, there's, you know, you've backed away a little bit from being as much of a public figure on social media and these types of things. But like, yeah, having the right relationship with that is tough and you know, you have this book that's, well, at the time of recording, it's not out, but it'll be out next week. Like this book is, is really high. I, I think it's number one right now on Amazon. Is that correct?
1: I think so. Last time I checked, it was number one in, in its category, which is vegan diets. I'm not sure if it is right now. It's just, you know, the Amazon things move around fast, but, uh, but yeah, it's near there. It'll be there tomorrow. If not now.
0: Yeah. So like, how are you managing? Cause you talked about reading one-star reviews or, you know, not paying as much attention to what people think, but with the, the ranking of books and you're an author, like, how do you maintain that relationship and, and keep that healthy?
1: So, first of all, I never ever read any reviews. I just don't. Like, I'll, I will glance at them I, every now and then, I'll check the Amazon reviews and like to get a, because I don't want to, I don't want to like have my head buried in the sand, but I will check and, and just, you know, confirm that people are liking the book or they're not based on the the star rating, like the average rating and all that. But I, I, can, I know that I cannot read the actual words someone writes because, as has been shown over and over, and, and I'm not the first to say this you can have a 99 great reviews and one bad one and you will only remember that bad one. Same as social media. And anything. Else. You can have all these likes and people loving your stuff, but one person says something that gets under your skin and it will ruin your day or your week. And it might ruin your career. Like I really think that reading that stuff in the early days affected the way like negative comments on blogs made me start writing blog posts after that, basically writing for the negative commenters to get in, get in front of anything they might possibly want to criticize. And that's, that's not how you create, interesting good content. That's how you make really bland stuff that no one can feel anything about. So I don't read reviews at all. I do wonder like if I had someone filter out the bad and like only give me the good, would that be a valuable, you know, use of time? Would it would it be good to get lots of that encouragement? Or is that going to create problems the other way? I've never, never done this, but I do wonder if you only read the good ones and what that would do. But I just don't read any of them. I, it's kind of just like you don't, I don't know. I don't like listening to myself like a lot of people don't. I don't like watching videos of myself. It just feels weird. You get too much inside your head. And, and I have sort heard of the same thing if I read anything about my stuff. So even like, it's weird. Like if I get in a magazine article or something, even an article that's mostly about me, I don't like to read it. I just, it's just, I don't know what the feeling is, but I just skim it really quickly and just like see it. And then I don't, I don't know. So yeah, I guess I just sort of stay away from that stuff. And that really helps as far as the Amazon rankings. It, that's kind of easy because they don't really focus on the worst selling books. There's no, if, if they had a list of those, it would be hard to see those. With this, you kind of only see if it's good. And and if it's not that good, it's fine. You're not in the bestseller list, but you're, you can know it's still a good book. So uh, yeah, so that part's not too hard. But certainly, you know, there are going to be criticisms and things like that. And I think a lot of it for me has just come from experience. Just this is the third time around writing a book. And I've kind of gotten to realize that like, the good stuff doesn't really matter that much, and the bad stuff doesn't really matter that much. Neither, neither one really makes that big of a difference, other than today or tomorrow. Soon enough, it won't really, won't really matter that much. So, ultimately, you just got to make stuff that that you know is good. I try to make things that I think will get a reaction out of people, which is definitely counter to the to the my nature. I think a lot of people's nature is we want to do things that will blend in, that will please people, and no one will really like, but no one will really hate. And I try really hard to make sure that I don't. Get in, sucked into that, and I try to make sure I do have things that will that will get a reaction from people. And that, that's kind of about it, I think.
0: Yeah, there's so much wisdom and all those things you just said, and certainly everybody listening goes through, you know, worrying about what other people think. Or if you're a creator, especially like making sure that you're creating or, or writing or doing whatever it is because you want to do it, not to do it to please other people, and that mm-hmm. can be so challenging. Yeah, thank you for sharing that wisdom because it's something that I have to remind myself of all the time as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, me too. Like, it's I've by no means mastered this stuff. This is this is the, what I've picked up is like what okay. makes me able to keep doing it. But yeah, it, it is it is an ever evolving challenge for me to be able to keep putting out content.
0: So before we get into the plant based athlete book, I want to ask you about the no meat athlete cookbook. Sure. Yeah, sure. I, I have that cookbook. I think it's a fantastic cookbook. Was was that your first cookbook? I think. Yeah, it? I
1: had put, I had put 50 or so recipes in my first book. And it's funny, those were like, those were the recipes that I made when I was first getting into this. Like the first, I think I wrote that book after about three years of being vegetarian after one of being vegan. And they were just like, a lot of those recipes were things that I had been, cause had kind of been into cooking before that, before I went vegetarian, it was sort of like my, my big hobby. I think if I hadn't done No Meat I would have done some sort of cooking thing and ultimately, I kind of did, but but it wasn't the way I expected. And so the first book recipes were the ones that were, I still more often eat those every day. It's just, I don't know, it's like pasta dishes that have beans in them. Uh, they're not quite as like, I guess, clean or, I don't know, like when you think about trendy health food, you think of lots of colors and greens and things that sound fun and good. Like that first book recipes really aren't those. They're, they're very bare bones and uh basic but it, it tends to be more practical and kind of the, the stuff that more likely my kids will eat that i can make faster that's cheaper so that you know those were the recipes that i really made the, the cookbook was much more designed to be something that made this really interesting for people for, you know people who had plenty of recipes like that and i expect that everybody has their standbys and the big vegan bowl of sadness where we mix up mushy beans and grain and whatever the grain green and bean formula which which i actually do like a lot but Everybody has those and, and we wanted to make stuff that like made vegan food for athletes seem more than just salads or, you know, gruel like <laughs> grains and beans. So I worked with a chef, Stephanie Romine on that one, and she created a bunch of really great, colorful, fun, interesting recipes. And many, some of those I contributed, but by far that was mostly her work. And I was involved with like testing and feedback and vision, But but many of those were her recipes. I don't want to take credit for those by any means.
0: Yeah, the testing and feedback part of creating recipes is a long process.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It is, it's long. And I think it's also, at least for me, like it was important because I really do think a lot about the tone of our content, everything we put out at Nomade Athlete and who it's for. And I always want this stuff to be like accessible and welcoming. And like, if a person who wasn't yet vegan saw this recipe, would they be interested in making it Chopping for these ingredients and then eating it. And if the answer is no, if it's like just kind of for, you know, vegan veggie nerds, then it's not really, it's not like really a meat athlete thing, you know, and I'm fine with that stuff. I love that stuff now and then, but that's just not who we are making content for. I, I want to make kind of that will like maybe be gateway vegetable content, yeah. gateway vegan meals for people. So I try really hard to make sure things are like family friendly and accessible and cheap and you can find the ingredients and and all that stuff.
0: Yeah. And you give away so much on the no meat athlete website. Like it's just, there's so much free information out there.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's important. It's certainly it's part of the strategy, right? I don't want people to think it's like, I'm just purely a great person. I just give away everything I possibly can. But I do think that's these days, especially like that's the way that you, you make a successful business where you can sell things is you give away tons and tons of stuff, way more than you used to have to, I think. And that's how you get people to trust you and believe you. And it's not, it's not a trick. It's not fake. It's real. You give away some of your be- very, very best stuff and as much as you possibly can. And that's how people, you know, you'll find people who who really like it and, and just always want more than that. So yeah, it, it feels good to be able to do that. And that's certainly probably the, the most important impact. No, me has had is our free content much more than, you know, paid training programs and things like that. So yeah, I appreciate that. It's, it's good to hear because it's, it's rewarding
0: you've given us some really great life advice about how to not worry as much about what people think and how to turn your curiosities into action and now we've gotten business advice from you which is to you know give yeah. away a lot so that you can build trust like this is this is awesome so now moving down the the Matt Fraser handbook of how to be awesome <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the book a big question people ask me is like, how do I change my diet? And what is the difference between like a quote, regular vegan or plant-based diet compared to like an athlete diet? So like, what Mm -hmm. are the main differences between a regular quote, regular plant-based diet for a more sedentary individual versus an athlete?
1: Yes, that's a great question. It's really interesting because like I said, there were so many different approaches to a plant-based diet for athletes. So there's not like one plant-based athlete diet where we can say this is This is how you do it for an athlete. I would say, in general, of course, the athletes need more calories and can afford to eat more calories. So, I mean, it depends. Like a regular plant based diet, if you're doing it, let's say you're just a middle aged person and you're doing it for maybe some weight loss, maybe some longevity, disease prevention, maybe even reversal, those people shouldn't, they should be eating mostly whole foods, plant based foods, not a lot of like added oil. You know, I think nuts are a great food. Some people will even say to avoid nuts for heart disease and weight loss. I'm not sure I agree with that. I I think nuts are a really, really great food. But you know, if you were if you were trying to lose weight, you wouldn't want to eat lots and lots of peanut butter sandwiches. It just wouldn't be the best plant-based food you could choose. You could choose foods that are way less calorically dense than that. But an athlete can get away with that if they want to, even if it's not the for whatever reason for their body, their sport, not the most supportive thing. They're burning so many calories that they can they can kind of eat any of these whole plant-based foods, and they can even eat some You know, some extra olive oil here and there, and and Beyond Burgers here and there. Like, it's fine. Your body's not really going to notice as far as like accumulation of fats because you're burning so much and you're working so hard. And I'm speaking about like fairly active people, not not just like jog three times a week. The people who do this as one of their their passions is their sport, so they can afford to eat more calories. And in many cases, they need to eat more calories. That's that's another thing. So I'd say, like, for me personally, if I'm in any sort of period where I'm training hard or want to put on weight, like if I'm I'm just trying to put on muscle for some reason, like I said, I'm someone who doesn't hold on to weight very easily. So like I will have to eat way more frequently with a plant-based diet. If I'm in an active period, than I would with an omnivorous diet because you just can't get as many calories in a given meal. The the plants will fill you up with fewer calories than animal-based foods will. And so you'll think you're done eating, but you won't have eaten as many calories. And so the flip side of that is you'll actually digest plant foods very fast because they're not politically dense. You get lots of nutrients, but not a lot of calories, which is generally a good thing. So for me, the key is like eat more frequently if I'm in a period where I'm really trying to build muscle or just support, you know, ultra marathon training or something. So I will actually eat like, you know, five meals a day, six meals a day. Uh, usually it's more like meals and then some bigger snacks in the middle, just because I am not get get hungry again. So, you know, that really, that's almost all it comes down to. You can say more like the athletes, at least in the book, from what we've kind of learned, like they focus a lot on anti-inflammatory foods and well, I mean, yeah, I mean they have, they have recovery routines as well, but like, it's really about reducing inflammation, preventing inflammation and recovering fast. So I think the athletes will tend to be more mindful about making sure they choose bright, colorful salads in addition to making sure they hit, you know, get, get some foods immediately post-workout, eat a big meal after their workout. So you know there there are some I guess more exotic food choices from some of the athletes than a typical plant based person might need, but it doesn't mean super exotic. I mean like you know tart cherries, ginger, turmeric. These are these maybe strange foods to a lot of people, but like they're even to a someone who's eating a plant based diet, they're not really that strange anymore. We 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 see enough pictures of them on Instagram and things like that that we, we tend to eat them. So you know it's kind of an interesting thing. Like athletes don't have to eat that that much different than a typical plant based diet, and that's a really neat thing that. That I've learned over the years is like really the very same mechanisms that prevent disease in the long term are the ones that help athletes perform well in the short term and that extend athletic careers perhaps by a few years in the medium term. It's kind of the same thing. It's it's really like the amount of nutrients that you can get in a relatively small number of calories, uh, along with lots of anti-inflammatory compounds and antioxidants. They they're the reason it's good for both of these different things.
0: Yeah. So you said possibly needing to eat more than three meals a day. And I started smiling because my husband and I have been super busy because we're like working and still like moving and doing all these things. And we've only had time to eat three meals a day. And we're like, what is this three meals a day thing? We're starving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so needing need to eat frequently. And as an athlete, if, if you're trying to gain muscle or if you're burning a lot of calories, needing to make sure that you're eating enough calories. And I think that a lot of times people think that they're not getting enough protein when they're worried about that they're actually just not getting enough calories. And they think that that fatigue is connected to the lack of protein.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, protein is really, is the body's, I mean, of the three macronutrients that most people eat as nutrients, not counting alcohol. Protein is the, the third choice as far as energy goes. It's for rebuilding and stuff, but it's not the reason you're tired. Now, if you had some serious deficiency, I'm sure tiredness might be one of the symptoms, but if you're eating whole foods and you're eating enough calories, it's nearly impossible to be protein deficient. It just doesn't happen in you know modern cultures. So yeah, it's, it's really just not, that we just don't need that much protein. Like it's, we were talking about this last night on another podcast, Robert and I, and we were wondering for so many years now, we've been telling people, you just don't need that much protein. No one really believes it though. Like it's just not a satisfactory answer to anybody who, who says, well, where do you get your protein? It's like, they're not looking for, when they say that, they're not looking for a, a lesson that will redefine how much protein they think they need. They're just looking for the answer. Where do you get this amount of protein that I think you need? Mm-hmm. And so I think the easier answer now is, well, look at Beyond Burgers. They have the same amount of protein as a regular burger. So just eat that instead, and that, that'll give you enough protein. Not that that's what I think anyone should do as their go-to nutrition choice, but I'm starting to think that that's the better answer to where do you get your protein. It's like, well, there are now vegan versions of all those, all those animal foods that you think you're mm-hmm. getting your protein from, and they have the same amount of protein. So like, that's where you get it. But the honest answer is it, it's in everything. If you eat whole foods, not a ton of oil, not a ton of refined processed carbohydrates or sugars that won't have any protein in them at all, You know, if you're eating regular foods, they're packaged very nicely with a nice amount of protein, usually 10% to 15% of calories. That's where most top athletes are trying to end up with their protein ratio. It's really not hard. I mean, if you're worried about it, focus on beans, nuts, seeds, certain whole grains, seitan, which is like a, a part of a grain, I guess it's part of wheat. That's the protein in wheat, tempeh, tofu. Those are the big ones, but like, you don't need to eat the soy products if you don't want them. You don't need to eat seitan if you don't want it. It's in so many things and you can, you can do protein powder if you want, but uh, you know, most people just don't need it, but, but it's there. So I mean, there's just so many ways to get protein. If, if that's your concern or that's your hang up it, it really shouldn't be anymore.
0: Yeah. And I think people eating non-plant-based diets don't track their protein. And then as soon as you're eating a plant-based diet, people are all of a sudden concerned with tracking protein. So, <laughs> you know, my question for people is like, well, how much protein do you think you need? And how much are you currently getting? Uh-huh. And a lot of times people don't know, but you know media, like I, I, I was laughing because there was some McDonald's ad I heard on the radio yesterday, and it was like, blah blah blah. You know, x grams of protein, and that was it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like, it's it's an obsession, and I, I like to think that people are becoming more mindful, and like we're moving past that, or or maybe maybe even when they're getting to the point where people start to view protein as this evil thing, the way carbs and fat each got vilified. Uh, not, not that I think protein is evil by any means it's like everything else. It's just what it should be. But I guess maybe that's what it needs for people to like have, have finally put protein on, on the same level as the other nutrients is for people to realize that it's too much is really a bad thing. And and perhaps is, is the reason red meat is linked to different types of cancers, you know, very likely that is due to the fact that, that some meats stimulate and the protein in meat specifically and the protein in dairy products, just animal, animal protein in general stimulates levels production of, of IgF1, insulin-like growth factor one, which is a hormone that helps, you know, animals and babies and kids grow, but you're just not supposed to have that much protein as you get older. And so that that growth, once it's no longer well used for the growth of your body, it contributes to the growth of tumors and things like that. So that story about protein I, I do think needs to be told. I'm not sure if it ever will or if it's just kind of too much for most people to to get or want to hear. But yeah, I, I really think like people get too much protein and, and if they didn't get so much, they'd be healthier.
0: And I'm just going down the macronutrient list here. <laughs> carbohydrates <laughs> is another thing that people are afraid of, especially like when they're trying to lose weight or quote, get cut. Right. So like, what have you learned about carbohydrates in relationship to weight loss? Because I think a lot of people are concerned with weight loss, especially people listening to this podcast.
1: Yeah, so I mean, weight loss has never been like my favorite focus area i've certainly learned a little bit about it here and there as needed and like i said i'm recently been focusing on fat loss but i just i meet a lot of people when i've done book tours and things like that who come to me like really excited about having lost 50 or 70 pounds or whatever on the plant based diet and the people who have a lot of success losing weight on plant based diet by and large they are doing it with high carb low fat low protein plant based diets uh and so you know 70% carbohydrate perhaps 15% protein, 15% fat, something in that range. So like so much comes down to the choice of carbohydrate. If you eat white flour all the time, if you eat sugar and then you're calling that carbohydrate, just you know, on a level field with potatoes or fruit, then yeah, like a diet like that, that's high in that kind of carbohydrate, that stuff goes very easily converts into fat and it's, it's just not gonna be helpful. We, and not to mention caloric density, that's probably the bigger factor is that when you eat the processed versions of carbohydrates, Suddenly, what was a non-calorically dense food, meaning again fills you up, provides a lot of volume in your stomach without a lot of calories, that becomes a calorie-dense food when you remove the fiber and you remove everything basically except for that that you know sugary, usually carbohydrate. So yeah, like if if that's what you mean by carbohydrate and that's what you mean by sugar, then yes, it's bad. But if if you mean when people when people just like equate fruit with sugar and think therefore fruit is bad, I mean that that's such a mistake. Same as something like potatoes. People just assume potatoes are bad because they're white, which is like crazy. I mean, it's, it's from the earth. It's a whole food. And like, so Dr. Greger has a really great example he mentions with a study about people who drank sugar water, two different groups of people who were given sugar water, equal amounts. And then one of the groups was given with the sugar water, just whole blackberries. And so the, the blackberry group and the sugar, drinking their sugar water, they're actually getting more total sugar than the sugar water people because they have the additional sugar in the blackberries, but they have the lower blood sugar spikes because the other parts of the blackberry help to blood sugar, not just not just the sugar that's in the blackberry, but the sugar that's in the sugar water. The blackberry is helping to blunt that blood sugar spike. The global burden of disease study in the early 2000s came out looking at like, why is our culture so sick? Or why is our society so sick? What is the problem? And the leading thing, leading lifestyle factor they found that looking at tons and tons of studies was that we don't eat enough fruit. That was the problem, and it's just such the opposite of of so much of the rhetoric on the internet that is that is anti fruit, saying fruit is sugar, and uh, we shouldn't have it. So yeah, I mean, like I said, if you look at plant based weight loss diets, the ones that are successful by and large are the ones that are high carb, low fat. I, if you have lots of carbs and lots of fat, which I think a lot of people do, that typically does not result in weight loss. It seems like one path or the other. You can lose you can lose fat with you lose weight with a high fat, low carb diet, or a high carb, low fat diet. Perhaps where people mess up, I think is They'll try to do high carb, low fat, but they won't actually eat low fat. They'll still have too many indulgences, too much olive oil or whatever, and they'll eat more fat than they realize, or they'll make carbohydrate choices that aren't whole complex carbohydrates. They'll end up choosing refined, simple carbohydrates. So I think a lot of it really is just sort of a a confusion around what we're talking about when we talk about healthy carbohydrates, rather than there being a problem with carbohydrate. And if you're an athlete, carbohydrates, the body's preferred fuel source it's, it's the most easily converted into energy for the brain and the body. And you know, that is the one that requires the least resources to convert into energy. So it's the one it's, it's what you should be eating the most of. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out that not all carbohydrates are created equal (laughs) and the more processed they get, those are the carbs that you might need to you know cut back on if you're trying to lose a little bit of
1: weight. Yeah. I mean, and, and I don't want people to be confused. Like they have their place for athletes. Like if you're on a 24 hour mountain bike, well, I don't know what exactly your nutrition strategy is on a 24 hour mountain bike ride. But if it's at all like a ultra marathon strategy, like there is a place for sugar refined carbohydrate. Now it's really great if you can get it in on sort of a whole food way, like dates or something like that, but dates for for that kind of event dates are going to have too much fiber or for, for some people, and it will accumulate and become an issue And you want really a food that's specifically designed just for this. It's not meant to be eaten every day. It's just for this kind of thing. So like there is a place for athletes sometimes around workouts to eat carbohydrates that are not whole and not what I'm talking about, but, but yeah, but by and large, we're talking about just good whole food sources of carbohydrates.
0: Yeah. And for people interested in how to optimize carbohydrate intake around performance. Like you can listen to any sports nutrition. Well, I have a sports nutrition podcast that I've recorded that I'll link to, but it just talks about how you should you know, plan that if you're getting closer to, especially an endurance event. So one question I haven't asked that I realized that I should have asked in the beginning is why are plant-based diets helpful for performance?
1: That's a great question. I've kind of alluded to it a little bit with the inflammation issue. But before I want to like clarify that, I just want to explain, like, I, I didn't really set out in, with No Meat Athlete or this Plant-Based Athlete book to convince anyone that a plant-based diet is, should be the diet of choice for sports, as far as sports performance goes. I hope that's the case. And, and it appears to me, based on all the athletes that we talk about, that at the very least, plant-based diet is a viable alternative to any other diet, even for elite performance in, in sports. There are a lot of athletes yourself included, who are showing that you can be the best in the world with this type of diet at what you do. And that to me, at least means it's worthy of consideration as perhaps this diet is not just as good as the others, perhaps it's actually better. And I don't know if it's better for short-term performance in sports. There are a whole lot of endurance athletes who seem to think it is. And I'm starting to see, we're starting to see but I saw a lot in this book, strength athletes, power lifters, strong men, strong women, boxers, people who don't necessarily want a small light frame like we endurance athletes tend to want. Um, and, and they're making a plant They're, they're choosing a plant-based diet because of what it does. And they're the best in the world of their sports and they eat a plant-based diet. So to me, the evidence is starting to pile up. There are a lot of scientific studies showing that a plant-based diet is definitely not a detriment is at least as good as an omnivorous diet. You're talking about protein, the effects of plant-based protein versus animal protein on short term performance seems to be no difference. And, and you know there, there are other studies that are just showing that that a plant based diet is basically on par with the others. Where I think the huge benefit is is with the longer term impact and effects. And I think some of the most powerful stories that we're seeing are the athletes who their career as a pro is starting to go downhill. And then they turn to a plant based diet, and it really rejuvenates, revitalizes their career. And They start performing again at a, at a really high level. And so I think the athletes who begin their careers this way and eat that way the whole time are going to have longer, better, because just because they're longer careers than people who don't do that. So I think that's where one of the huge potential advantages, people who, who will be able to stay at the top of their game longer, because they eat a plant-based diet. Uh, Tom Brady, good example, he, he doesn't eat a vegan diet or plant-based, but he eats a whole lot of plants in his diet. And he's very famously, you know, setting records and winning Super Bowls at, at, a, at an advanced age, as far as football players go. So I, I sense that that's like probably where the, where we will start to, where maybe there will be studies and we'll start to see like, you know, actual statistics of how many people are choosing this diet versus how many are playing, how many years. And we can actually, you know, do real science and say, this is clear that this is a better choice for, for longevity of career, at least. I, I think, I think we'll see that before we see, you know, the majority of athletes eating plant-based diets. And once they are, if they are, then we can say, yes, this diet is better for short-term performance. But until then, until it's the diet of choice, we just we just can't say. It. We can say it is a very viable alternative. And the other really great thing is like if you're trying to achieve high level high levels of performance in a sport, typically that comes at a trade off. The way you need to eat, the way you need to live, the way you need to train, it comes at a trade off with longevity. So like if you want to be a really great ultra marathoner, the choices you're making are probably not the ones that are the ones you want to make if you want to live to be 120 years old you're forcing your body to metabolize a lot more calories. Like you need to take in a lot more so that you can expend a lot more. And that wears out your body, not to mention what, you know, the actual wearing out of the body as you just use it that much. So like there's a trade-off between performance and longevity, the plant-based foods though, to me, they, they minimize the, the detrimental impact when we talk about, because it's so easy to get these nutrients in so few calories, you've got the anti-inflammation stuff happening. You get the antioxidants happening. I think this is just my theory. I mean, I, I think that is going to result in, in much less of a trade-off. We're seeing the plant-based diet in the science is, is being shown to be really, really great for longevity. So it seems like a natural conclusion would be that therefore if we eat a plant-based diet for our sport, we'll be limiting the downside of really intense performance focus. That one I also don't know, but but it's clear that plant-based diets are great for longevity. So that's why I think it's also another one that even if it only performs the same as the other diets, it might be the best choice as far as other factors like how long you live and how how long you live healthily, how long that goes. So to answer your question, though, I know that was a very long preamble, but like I, I think the reason that they work well in the athletes that they work really well for, I think it has to do with with how fast you can recover. Brendan Brazier is a great example of this. He's the triathlete. He was one of the first ones to be to be writing and talking about eating vegan diet for performance, and uh, he said he when he was in high school, I think he had the sense that he could be a pro athlete, a triathlete. And he started like kind of carefully trying different diets. And he found that by eating what became his thrive diet, which was this, this you know, very high in fresh raw vegetables and fruits and plant-based diet, that that's the one that let him recover fastest and therefore get in the most workouts. And if you can get in more workouts than the competition, your body's going to adapt faster. The key is you need to be able to do it without coming back, you know, slightly worse than you were before because you haven't fully recovered because if you do that, you're not going to progress and you're going to get injured and all these things. So it, it, you know, it seems that that's it, like it's recovery. So why, why is the recovery there? And it's the anti-inflammation story. Again, so many foods that we eat are anti-inflammatory. So many animal products are pro-inflammatory. So it's not like you even have to make all the exotic choices I mentioned earlier, the ginger, the turmeric, the, the tart cherries, you know, nuts and seeds, leafy greens, a lot of stuff. Is anti-inflammatory, so like if you just eat regular whole food plant-based meals, so much of that stuff is going to be contributing to your recovery, even if you're not really trying to make it do that. So my sense is that that's why it's the best nutrient density versus caloric density. Another thing I've mentioned twenty times by now. That's also just I think a big reason. If you can get the nutrients your body needs to recover without having to do the work to digest and metabolize all those calories, it makes sense to me that that would that that would be one that a diet that works well for sports.
0: Yeah that was a very like balanced approach to talking about, you know, plant-based diets for athletes and you know some people are very evangelical about this and probably because of their own experiences but yeah I, I think that that's going to resonate with a lot of people that you said that yeah this at least stands up to what all the other ones are doing for performance if not better we just don't have, you know, enough information at a big enough sample size. However, for longevity and you know not wanting, like feeling good when you're 90, not feeling, you know, really bad when you're 90, eating a plant-based <laughs> right. diet is going to be awesome for that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, like, I, I try not to be too evangelical, even if I am very excited about it. I, I just find that that kind of turns people off or, you know, makes people put up their guard. So yeah, I've never really been out to like prove that this diet is the best one. I just, I just want people to know that it's viable. and And if you're interested in it, there are so many tools that that people like you and people like me have made available. So yeah, like we talked about earlier, give it a try. I mean, if, if it's something that's interesting to you, you don't need to overthink it. You know, you just try it. If it doesn't work out, then, then adjust it, you know, or, or go back and try something else. Well,
0: Matt, thanks so much for leading by example from the very beginning and continuing to, you know, use your curiosity to grow and evolve and help other people on their journeys along the way. I'm so honored to be a part of this book. And also I've been a longtime fan of No Meat Athlete back when I, I changed my diet in, gosh, I think it was 2012, 2013, uh-huh. started making some shifts and and there wasn't a ton of information out there at the time. And your information and Brendan Brazier's information was kind of what I turned to. So thank you for that.
1: Oh, that's and, awesome. Thank you. I mean, I, I don't want people, I don't want to let this opportunity go by. Your story is really, really cool too. And I was, I was actually reading it today just to re-familiarize myself. And I said earlier that I hadn't been excited about running, but I, I was reading a story about the mindset and about how, you know, there were these times where you just had to suck it up and go through the mud. And, and the, the one where we said, like, you thought you were just walking hiking eight hours just to finish the race, knowing you wouldn't be able to, or wouldn't even be able to finish. Uh, but you just had to get to the spot where you could stop <laughs> something about that. It like, it like made me remember what it felt like to be running the only hundred miler that I did. And the, I mean, very painful memories, but like very, very fond memories of like, that's what, that's what that day was about. And that's what was so great about that experience. So like this literally reading your story was, was like the first thing in a long time that has, that made me think like, maybe I would like to do another race. Like that. No. I don't know. So wow. thank you for what you're doing. It's, it's uh, amazing. We, we need athletes like you who are, who are doing what you were doing on a plant based diet and, and sharing it.
0: Yeah. And you just said like the challenges are the things that mean the most and the things that, you know, really get you going. And I think with the pandemic and people's events being taken away, it's not like, I mean, yeah, it's the, the social aspect and having like a goal to train for, but really it's like when you're trying to, you know, put it all out there on the day, like there's something special about that day. There's something mm-hmm. special about that that's hard to do in practice, and you can go places on that day that you wouldn't go other days. And those places that you go are what make your life have you know more meaning. in a lot, not you don't always have to be doing really hard things, but that definitely adds some depth to what you can feel and what you
1: think about yourself.
0: So yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself.
0: Well, where can people get the book, and where can people follow all things no meat athlete?
1: So the book will be available just about anywhere in the U.S. and Canada. Certainly any big bookstore, hopefully most independent bookstores, obviously online, wherever you want, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all that stuff, or independent online sites, of course. If you go to book.nomadeathlete.com, there is a a book page that has a bunch of different testimonials from like all these different leaders in the movement, uh, a little bit more detail about what's inside the book, uh, along with some bonuses that Robert and I put together, um, like some meal plans and the special private Q&A just for people who, who get the book before June 19th is the deadline for that. So if you go there, you'll get instructions for like how to forward your receipt onto us us so that we can make sure you get all those good bonuses. So that would be the best place to go. But like I said, anywhere books are sold. And then, uh, yeah, all my stuff is at nomadathlete.com. We're on Instagram at nomadathlete underscore official. And, uh, and I mentioned my supplement company that's that's called Compliment. It's at lovecompliment.com. And uh, it's sort of a, a mindful approach to supplementing a plant-based diet without overdoing it.
0: Awesome. So yeah, compliment, um I I interviewed Matt Tolman. That'll be coming out probably in about a month after you hear this podcast if you want to learn more about that. Okay. And also, this podcast is coming out on the 17th. So Matt said the 19th is the deadline for the freebies and I personally I bought a copy of the book and I submitted to get the free all the free stuff and I was <laughs> amazed. Like there was so many free things that you get with the book and I just kept hitting download, download, download. Like this is amazing. (laughs) So make sure that you lit like, if you're listening to this before the 19th, make sure that you get the book and submit that receipt. Otherwise you're definitely going to be missing out.
1: (laughs) Cool. Thank you so I appreciate it.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on your phone. So you don't miss future episodes just like these with amazing guests who take time out of their day to help us be better every day. And with that, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. See you next week.